0: On this week's episode of the OrthoTalk Podcast, we have fan favorite, recurring guest from episode 33, Ken Lamb. Always entertaining, Ken Lamb, who is finishing up a trauma fellowship right now And we talk a lot about his experience and trauma fellowships in general, as well as finding a trauma job after fellowship. Uh, Always entertaining. Hope you guys like it. Uh, And as always, you can find all our old episodes at our website, orthotalkpod.com. You can catch us on Twitter at OrthoTalkPod or email us at theorthopodcast at gmail.com. If you like what we're doing, leave us five-star reviews on your favorite podcasting platforms. And without further ado, Ken Lamb. Hey, can we time out? All right, all good dudes, stop what you're doing. This is time out. This is the OrthoTalk Podcast. Today, we're doing a real conversation with an illustrious guest. Surgeons today are Asith Khalid and Jay Chen. Antibiotics. Ansef, of course. What do we even ask? Fire risk high due to lit conversations and explosive topics. Any questions or concerns? Nope. All right, we can go incision. Welcome to the Ortho
1: Podcast. We're here at episode forty-seven, and we're bringing back the illustrious, uh, very famous, world-renowned Kenny Lamb. <laughs> Welcome, Kenny. Last time Madden. we had Ken Lamb, he was um, still a resident, and now he's finishing up his fellowship training in trauma and um, about to about to snatch that contract, so
2: Kenny, great to have you, man. i uh, glad to be here, glad to be back, thanks for having me back, despite yeah. like what I said last time, so it's going to be, we're going to be good.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, Kenny survived his first uh, trip to the OrthoTalk podcast, and he's still, uh, he's still an orthopedic surgeon. So,
2: <laughs> Ken, um, how's fellowship going? It's going good. Uh, it's tiring. I think overall, uh, I haven't met a trauma fellow yet that said they they worked that they haven't worked harder than they did in residency. So I think all of us are, are working harder than we did in residency. So it's a it's a it's a grind for sure. But uh, seeing seeing good cases, getting getting the exposure I want to do. So that's that's why I came to fellowship. So happy with that.
1: That's awesome um i think our last podcast like two weeks ago or a week ago we had like a little mini debate over whether or not a fellowship is um is even needed uh in nowadays orthopedics and the guest we had last time was midha he, he's a resident so you know he, he hasn't been through fellowship so we were trying to we were trying to do more experience so you having you know almost completed a cool. fellowship now what are your thoughts do you think do you think most people are should be doing a fellowship or do you think it's uh it's not quite needed
2: well to be honest i mean i'm still in training right so the best person to ask is y'all selves because y'all are you know, fresh out you have the best perspective of how your experience was before and after fellowship and how that would have prepared you for your practice especially mo being in general is actually probably even a better one because you're basically in general practice right so i mean Uh, But for me, like, I think there is definitely some trauma things that coming from my residency experience, I would not have been ready for to take care of. Specifically, acetabular fractures and pelvic fractures are just not, I would not have the comfort level and the safety. Like, I didn't know what I didn't know. Uh, I like to say, like, nothing has wrecked my confidence and my operative skill and ability more than fellowship. Uh, And so it just kind of helps you question everything. and makes you think of some things at a deeper level. I don't know what your experiences are first coming out. Uh, Like, so I would say that there are very specific procedures that need it, but by and large, a lot of things probably can get by without it, but there are specific procedures that absolutely need a fellowship training.
1: So uh, uh, confidence was never your strong suit to begin with. Oh, man.
0: Yeah, (laughs) that's true. So I think the the nice part about fellowship is that, it's like you said, those couple procedures that, uh that you have more experience with than anyone else in your area will give you an advantage like competitively in uh establishing a practice you know like but it, you'll see it's weird a lot of the private guys most most private community guys are generalists by necessity uh because it's not i mean you're not in a tertiary referral center to where you can live only off of your specialty um So most like, just like me, right? Like I'm a generalist by necessity at this point, but uh, I do still do the high level sports cases because nobody else in my area outside of the academic center can do them. Right. So like, uh, cartilage restoration, osteotomies, um, multi-legs, like all that kind of stuff, um, sets me apart a little bit, right. I can kind of build that practice, but I think you're right. Most people don't need a fellowship. Uh, for the reasons they think they do, um, especially if you're going into community practice and you're not going to a tertiary referral center. That's my thought.
1: Yeah, at least it prov- I think it provides you when you're starting out a, uh, a comfort knowing that, you know, you have this patient coming in with this particular case, and at least you have seen all the really good ways to do it. I mean, maybe not all, but you've seen a bunch of good ways to do it. Where I've, Without a fellowship, you may know one way to do it, but it may not be the best way to do it, and you may not know how to troubleshoot your way out of it. You know if you're having trouble doing it. So, but at the least, I think it, it gives you confidence starting out, knowing that you know you got options, and and uh, and they're they're pretty good options. And but you you're even with it.
0: that, like you learn so much that first year in, like the first fifty cases of any case you do, you you change and you modify and you kind of find your own way to do things that's a blend of what you learned and what you have around you you know like uh i for fellowship you come from like this high level usually it's a high level center that's got every resource available uh that has all the positioners and all the equipment and all the tools and most people unless you're going to another place like that don't have a lot of that stuff right like i for example and not even fellowship Let's just take it from residency right like i i went from residency where uh we're doing hip fractures on a hana table to not having a hana table in my hospital right i we used to (laughs) remember we used to hate using the fracture table in residency because none of us knew how to use it except for one attending who liked using the fracture table but here i only have a fracture table so i had to like figure that out you know um things change like it's 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 tough to prepare for not having that kind of stuff unless, you know, in training you're, you're thrown into a bunch of different environments, which could be very beneficial. I think, you know, like if you have rotations out at a community hospital or rotations at a smaller hospital that doesn't have all the resources, I think that kind of training is probably more valuable than learning the specific one or two procedures. But that first year is very tough in that sense. Because you got to figure out how to do things right and how to do things safely without doing it the way you're used to. Hmm. You know, uh, I guess one of the questions I had was,
2: you know, there's some talk like, you know, you learn more in your first year of practice than you would ever do in fellowship. At least on the old, uh, old some, uh, there's some thought, that's one of the thought processes. Like you guys being two, three, two, three three years out now, um, are you guys, do you guys agree with that statement that, like, I learned way more than my first year of practice than I ever did in fellowship? Or is it more of a compliment? Like, I learned something different in practice than I did in fellowship.
0: I think it's a compliment. I, I don't think I can compare the two, really, you know. Um, I remembered more my first year in practice than I did in my fellowship because I had to go back to a lot of residency stuff. I never touched in fellowship. <laughs> Like, yeah, it's good. Like I've done an, I hadn't done an endoscopic carpal tunnel since like second year of residency. So like I had to kind of figure out how to do that again. Um, ankle, you know, the basic trauma stuff, you kind of get enough exposure throughout residency because you're taking call all the time. So that's not like too difficult. But like it's a lot of the other smaller cases that uh, you do. But I will say you do learn, the thing you learn I think the most in your first year of practice is what you can and can't do. You know, like I learned pretty quickly that there's some fractures, like hand fractures, like phalanx fractures, that I would never touch again. You know, I'm like, Oh yeah, this is easy. I could probably just put a couple screws in here and it'll be good. And never that easy. Right. So (laughs) you you learn what you are and aren't comfortable doing and what isn't, isn't worth learning how to do. Um, You also, I think, learn a lot on how to learn how to do things that's a lot of learning that I said but you gotta it's like like remember when you're first in med school and you're used to college where it's not like the college wasn't too bad for most of us but like once you get in med school they're throwing a bunch of information at you and half the battle is figuring out how to learn it all that's kind of what the first year of practice is like how do you study for a case what resources do you use Um, oh, shit, I don't have JBGS access anymore. How do I look up articles, right? Like, where do I go to for technique guides and technique videos? Um, That's part of it also. I think that was probably the toughest struggle is you see a case you haven't seen in a while and you need to study on it. How do you study for it? Like, now that you're actually doing it and not just watching your attending doing it or having your attending behind you who can bail you out if, uh, you know, you get in trouble. That's the tough part.
2: In like academic practice, that I think that changes a little bit, right? First off, like you're you're probably more in your zone. Mm-hmm. Uh and then B like you have more of those resources. So like I don't know, what'd you learn what do you learn the most in your first year of practice? Because I, I that's what I'm trying to see. Like, how do I inevitably I think I'm it's gonna be a it's gonna be a butt kick to, in their first year of practice in terms of what to learn, but uh what'd you learn the most? I think um yeah there's in
1: fellowship, you do so many cases, but despite doing so many cases and, you know, doing a lot of them yourself, um, there's still, there's still so much out there that you may have only seen once or twice. So, you know, you know, my first year of starting out the routine cases, like the trimal fractures and the insertional Achilles, um, you know, when you're doing those cases, you're basically learning how you want things set up, you know, like how you want the patient positioned and, you know, what, what protocols you want post-op and, you have all that from fellowship, but you're just kind of applying it um, when you're actually when you're the actual decision maker. So, so you're kind of figuring out, okay. So for these types of post miles, I want to fix. This is the way I'm going to fix it because I saw this guy doing fellowship, and I like it more than the way this guy did it. And then you try it out, and you are like, oh, it works pretty well. So, so I'm going to do it like from now on. I'm going to do it like that. And so for a lot of the first year, for the more routine cases, you know, can you have multiple attendings? you're basically figuring out for the routine cases, which of those ways works for you. And then, you know, 10% of your cases are going to be like 10, to 20% starting out. You're going to be like, I've only seen this like once or twice, or I've only done this like once or twice. So, you know, Ken, when you're on on my service, like that, that Dome Mastionomy we did, you know, uh, I've, I've seen one or two in fellowship, you know, and we didn't really do a whole ton of them. So for a lot of that, it was just like, it was preparing for a case much like you prepare for it in, in residency in some ways you you have to read you know most of the times I don't have to for routine cases I'm not reading technique guides or how to do it or whatever or or publications but for a case like that that I've only seen once or twice you, you're doing a lot of learning like I'm learning how I want to do this cut and I'm reading multiple resources and multiple um, technique tips and and you're in there you're figuring it out with the resident for the first time and it's it's just a ton of learning like even even the small nuances you have to kind of figure out and um so so i guess overall you know most of the times ken it's going to be just kind of fine-tuning how you want to do things but you know once in a while it's going to be like oh frick we have to you know i have this case coming in i'm the trauma guy i've only seen you know one or two of these um and then it's going to be a, a whole lot of learning and that's when you you know if you have co-fellows that's when it's a good time to ask them. If you have if you have good relationships with your attendings and fellowship, um, those are good times to to ask them, you know, this is what I think I want to do. What are your thoughts on this? And and they can help guide you with that. So um so I think really that's that's how it is your first year. And then and then clinic well you don't do a lot of clinic probably in, in trauma, but you know clinic's a whole different beast in terms of in terms of learning. You have to develop your style.
0: They, next, I think that's a tougher challenge, honestly. Mm-hmm. Stuff. Yeah, you, like there's a lot more variable there, uh, especially if you have you know a PA or residents or someone trying to help you. How do you use them? How do you build your notes? How do you uh, how do you want to handle patient phone calls, right? How do you want to structure your support staff as far as MAs, clinics, rooming patients? Um, what X-ray views do you want to use, right? Um, That's a, that's a tougher thing, I think, because you don't, we we all focus on the operative side of stuff and we probably should, but the nuance of clinic can make or break your practice really just because if you're not efficient in clinic and you don't like you don't have a set way to do things or you don't have like structure to your clinic, uh, it's tougher to build that practice. I, I mean, I guess, you know, trauma is a little different, but, uh, for most people trying to get an elective practice, It's tougher if you don't uh, have that side of things. Uh, Like even paperwork, things as as small as like consent forms or like surgery booking sheets, like things like that. How do you, are you going to use the ones you use in a fellowship or are you going to make your own? Who's going to do it? Like little things you don't really think of uh, but can make a big difference.
1: Yeah, I think uh, when you're starting out, um your first year just make very liberal use of of your resources so you know don't don't be hesitant to call up your attendings and fellowship or give them a text um you know we had we had those three cases when you're on the service that were all pretty complicated we signed up and uh and you know i got multiple attendings you know viewpoints on those and some of them i was like that sounds dumb but some of them I was like, yeah, that's pretty much what I was thinking. So I have more confidence going in that it's it's the right thing to do, or at least it's not the wrong thing to do. Like, I'm not the only person in the world who has this idea. Um, and then, you know, if you have co-fellows, just, I text my, my co-fellows pretty much every day, just to, not even just to talk about, not even just ask questions, but just to like share cases we've done and analyze, you know, hey, this is my x-ray. Do you think I could do anything better? Or how, how would you criticize this? Um, and, and I'll criticize their x-rays without them even asking. They'll be like, oh, check this out. I'll be like, that looks like butt. <laughs> they'll, it's kind of funny, but... Um, resources but big, right? Because like it's... Resources.
0: You forget a lot really quickly about the stuff you don't see every day. So like, like, I, like I'll text Jay any fun angle thing I have a question on, right? Yeah. Like, maybe, like, even he's seen away way more than I do and I'll usually just do what he says or uh, like even Creed I'll text Creed about arthroplasty stuff because I don't know anyone else who did who's doing a joint fellowship right but like like or uh, like I'll ask for about stuff like even from residency you use those people you create a wide net of like support uh, for the other stuff you're gonna see because it's gonna come through at some point and uh, you don't want to just kind of guess on it at least get it's always good to get a couple takes on cases I think
1: I had this, like, complex distal humorous fracture. I texted Mo the other night. Yeah, I, ha- I had to squeeze it into, like, a brief window in my morning because I had afternoon clinic. I'm like, hey, Mo, I've got, like, a brief couple hours to do this case. You know, what are your thoughts on this case? And he's like, yeah, don't do it. Give it to don't someone it. else. Yeah, do <laughs> and, like, and, and then the next day, you know, I finished my first case. It's, like, 11 p.m. And then I got a clinic at 1. I'm like, man, thank God I passed this case off to <laughs> someone else. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just, it's, it's uh, just use your resources. Like if you have financial ankle stuff, you can text me, you know, whatever. Um, I think the other thing too, that you have to learn that you don't learn enough of in residency and fellowship uh, by design is all the, all the politics of working in a hospital. And we kind of talked about this last time too, but you know, you're going to have like, you're you're going to have people that are basically, they're not, they're not trying to sabotage you on purpose, but they're basically sabotaging you um you're gonna have like anesthesiologists who who the day of surgery you know you're telling your patient in clinic yo you're gonna get an expirable block it's gonna be great you're gonna have no pain for two days in the morning of surgery you have an attending who's like oh i don't give expirable blocks he's gonna get like an eight-hour block then the patient's all pissed at you for you know inadequate pain control and um there's just situations like that people Um, tell you no right that's a tough
0: one whenever anyone tells you no hey i want to add on a case no what do you do? Yeah. Um, yeah. When to escalate things, right? Like it depends. I mean, obviously, every hospital is a little different, but uh knowing when sometimes it's sometimes the important thing is knowing when not to escalate stuff versus when to escalate things. As far as like administration goes, you know, like or charge nurses, we don't have your set or something, right? Another three-hour delay, we have to auto your set what do you do you just sit there do you uh, make a big deal about it you know picking and choosing your battles is part of the political side and, and we like like jay said we talked about this a little bit last time but it's hard to gain that experience in residency and fellowship um sometimes you know if you you'll see like the downside of it like maybe you'll see your attending try to fight a battle that he's not going to win and this you know yes. like, that ever again but, uh, without the experience, it just kind of comes with practice, you know,
2: um,
0: and knowing your system, knowing people, uh, knowing the people around you. And, uh, it's, that's, that's a tough, that's a really tough one. You know, it's it's tough to prepare for that because it's going to be there and you don't, most residencies and fellowships will shield you from that kind of stuff because it doesn't have anything to do with learning orthopedics, right? Like that's, it's just, that's just politics. It's just people skills. Um, So I, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like that's something you just, at least I learn mostly on the fly and I just kind of, kind of learn different attitudes from mostly my fellowship attendings, Uh, like their attitudes towards dealing with administration or dealing with uh, the hospital politics. Like, you know, some, some, one of my fellowship guys would absolutely know, like, you know, he wouldn't accept anything other than perfection from people. So if there was ever an issue, he'd uh, make us think about it and do what he wants other people just let it go you know uh, let it let it be and kind of make do with what what they're giving him um i mean the answer is usually in between right for any case but uh most of it's your personality the personality of the people around you what you think you need to do or what you can do what you can get away with i don't know jay what do you think It's, it's that's a tough one yeah yeah so
1: i think um it's hard, like you said, it's hard to prepare for because every situation is different and everyone you deal with is going to be different. Um, but a good rule of thumb that, um, you know, I've tried to employ, yeah, I can get a little fired up from time to time if you have people who know me. Um, but basically sometimes I find myself composing an email that's kind of not, not the nicest email. And then I try to tell myself to like sleep on it and don't hit the send button and
0: yeah. then wake up was that, wake up the next morning huh someone gave us that advice earlier was that uh Dusty? i think Dusty said that to us didn't he oh did you say that yeah but someone
1: either way, it. it's, it's great advice because i'll wake up the next morning i'll be like yeah i'm glad i didn't send that
0: email i use that all the time you know i will write yeah. i will save it in draft and then go to yeah. and wake up the next morning and look at it again and i'm yeah. like I really want to push this yes or no yeah. and, honestly mo- like 80 90 percent of the time I don't send it yeah it'll and uh, yeah. it's okay
1: and then another thing too um, you know some there's there's always ways to escalate it so you know, I could I could go to my chairman um, if, if I have an issue with somebody but I found, honestly I found it better just to um, just to talk directly with people rather than going you know, going around them to rat them out to someone above them yeah here an example, um, I do a lot of clinic in in, uh, in the prison clinic, and uh, in that hospital, you know, we have to operate on the prisoners in that hospital. I don't have any block time, and what ends up happening is basically I have a backlog of cases there. Um, I had like ten to fifteen cases backlogged that I couldn't get on the schedule, and uh, without it being an add-on, so basically I'd have to add it on. I'd have to go to the hospital, It'd be three p.m., and then they would just tell me, "Oh, you know, we can't start you until you know six or seven p.m." And a whole day is basically wasted. And not only that, it's a waste of resources because the patient has to be sent back to the to the prison or whatnot. Or um, and then I've been, I got a couple of emails from prison doctors being like, yo, you know, my patient needs their surgery. How can we have them put them on schedule? I'm like, I, I can't do anything about it, you know. So I got really fed up one time. One day in clinic, I had three ankle fractures come in that needed to be done. And then they told me I I couldn't get a room for the next like four weeks. I'm like, that's kind of, and then they're like, well, if they're that emergent, you can just pass it off to someone else. I'm like, so that's true, but I shouldn't be doing this clinic if I'm just, if I'm just collecting cases for other people. So I got really mad and I composed a um, an email. I didn't send it. And then I thought about um, calling my chairman to figure out if he could do something for me. And I decided not to do that too. And instead, all I did was um, I called the person who's in charge of the OR down there. And that person told me, basically, this is the situation. You can't, we can't give you any room. So not have any block time. I was like, okay, whatever. And then I called the person in charge of block time. I'm like, this is my situation. I do 60% of the clinic down there for foot and ankle, and I don't have a room to do any of my cases and this and that. So I, I took it directly to the person I could. And then starting next month, I started getting block time. Um, so just from that experience, you know not sending out an email that was kind of nasty, not going around people to, to go above them to, to my chairman, kind of directly addressing it with those people um, in as cordial of manner as I possibly could at the time. Um, it ended up working out well and hopefully I didn't burn any bridges with that. So um, that's kind of my experience.
0: Yeah, it's part of it is also realizing what, what leverage you have too, right? Like Jay and I are in two very different situations as far as leverage goes, you know, like if I, if I complain about something enough, usually I have enough leverage to make it happen. Right. The question is, do I want to do that every single time and become known as that guy? Cause the more, you know, it's like the more times you do it, the less power you have or the less power the yeah. word has. Right. Um, so you got to pick and choose your battles a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it just depends. You got to know your place too, in that hospital. And, uh, I think the toughest things are really like, you know, like, I guess the the toughest decisions you have to make are when you, there are situations that you think might compromise patient safety, you know? Like, um, for example, like if, uh, you know, you don't have a set there that you need for a case, like if I'm doing a meniscus repair, right? And uh, I don't have a root repair set, in the hospital because it's a small community hospital, but I find a root tear and I'm like, oh, this needs a root repair. What do you do? Do you close them up and come back later? Do you call your rep and say, hey, can you bring a root repair set in and wait, you know, another hour under anesthesia and then another 40 minutes to flash it? Like those kind of things will come up if you don't have all the resources in your hospital, which most hospitals around the country don't, um, or, let's say you're like trying to do a hip fracture right you're doing a hip fracture and all of a sudden there's a stat c-section that wants to bump you right look or or an appy right we had this i've had this debate like three times an appendicitis that they want to do before your hip fracture and what do you do right do you stand up for your patient do you let them go with their patient you know those are the tough things that you gotta comes with experience and every situation is a little different and every hospital has its own problems which a lot of them are similar but they're not all the same, so that's the fun part, I guess, of the first year. Sometimes the operating is actually the easiest part of your career. Um, I actually feel
1: I feel great when I'm in the OR most of the times. So I'm like, you're you're actually here doing your job. All the politics and side bullshit kind of you know fades away for the most part, um, and it's actually fun at that point.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I agree. This point, and at this point in my career, the most of the time, operating is the easiest part. Yeah, <laughs> like it's everything else that makes this job <laughs> tough i'll say
1: too one thing another thing when you start out ken is for the first time you're going to have partners and you know not just co-residents or co-fellows so
0: yeah partners uh, are very different from mm-hmm. this is someone who doesn't have a partner but very different from being a co-resident
1: or a co-resident. yeah so so just uh i mean i know you're you're a really nice guy and you're, you're not gonna have problems with with it for the most part um yeah, you know, there's sometimes you know basically where an awkward situation will happen where it's not it's not your fault, it's not someone else's fault, and, and I found it I found it good just to kind of reach out to my partner and be like, yo, this is this happened, um, you know. So an example, you know, I, one of my partners had a patient come in on call with a uh, an operative ankle fracture, and a patient was sent out for outpatient surgery. A patient ended up going to my clinic because they yeah you know, they did some googling or research or whatever reason they they wanted me to fix it. so um, I try to I try to move the patient back to my partner's schedule and I quickly got a phone call from um, from an acquaintance of the of the patient who who works in the institution and basically was like, you know, whatever happened to patient choice, blah, blah blah, you know they want you to fix it, so why can't you fix it? So in a situation like that, yeah, I mean, patients do have choice and and I, I'm happy to fix it, but I, yeah, I reached out to my partner and was like, yeah, I'm not trying to, you know, take cases from you. This is, this is the situation that happened. And I think it's kind of messed up that it happened this way. I, you know, I apologize about it for you, but um, this is kind of what happened. And, and it was all cool and you know, there were no problems from it. And my partner's like, well, thanks for letting me know. Thanks for, you know, reaching out and, and telling me about it. So, um, so I think, you know, there could be situations that's nobody's fault, but just kind of be proactive about, you know, this is, this is what happened. And, um, just just kind of keeping it cool with all your partners
2: you had said that a partner is very different than a resident than a co-resident like i mean one is that you're competing for for money uh, residents you know but what are some of the other
0: kind of big differences in how to treat them essentially
2: well i think they're not they're not your friends almost sometimes
0: sometimes right It, it depends like if you're in private practice a lot of times your partner is really a business partner right so like for example, there's a private group, or there was a private group, or it's still there. There's a private group like twenty ish miles from me that was like a very big private orthopedic group in this area that um, all four or five partners hated each other, couldn't couldn't stand each other, but they're great business partners. You know, they work together to to basically build a huge practice and everyone profited off of it, right? Versus in residency, you look, there's no money involved, right? Money changes everything for a lot of people, and you're right if you're Depending on the structure of the group, you're usually competing for cases, right? So if, if you know, I'm a sports guy and my partner's a sports guy, then we're competing for the same same group of patients usually. Um, but I think other things you got to worry about, or not worry about, but deal with with partners. And again, full caveat: I don't have a partner, and I've never had a partner <laughs> in my career, so I'm probably not the best person to ask. But um, call. Right, if, you're, if you and your group are splitting call, how do you handle that? Uh, a lot of times, your partner is in a very different stage of their career than you are with a different sense of, I guess, entitlement. You know, I paid my dues. I've, I've done call for 15 years. I want to take less call. Uh, you take more. How do you handle that, right? Holidays, how do you handle holidays? Um, you guys are not only competing for for uh, financial gain, but you're also competing for time. Right. Your, your own personal time. Partners too. So the more time you take call is less time away from your family. Right. How do you, how do you deal with that kind of stuff? And then, you know, if you're in private practice, I think it's, it's very different because when you start out, you're not a partner, right? You're basically employed under the private group with a chance to earn partnership in the future. Um, that's, that's the way most people or most groups will structure it, I think. Uh, so, you're, you're different. You're almost like auditioning for two years to try to earn the financial incentive that they have later. Uh, but again, it's a business, it's, it's almost a business arrangement more than anything. I think that's the biggest difference.
1: I think, too, um, by, by nature, humans are territorial people, territorial creatures, I guess.
0: Especially in certain.
1: Um, yeah, and surgeons are, they tend to be very like, you know, alpha personality traits you know type a personalities so very competitive people so just just be aware of that you know, there's a million possible situations you can find yourself in um but just be aware if, if you're getting block time someone else is probably losing block time right. and, and vice versa so just uh if, if something like that happens just reach out to your partner and be like yo, you know this is what's happening um you know, I don't mean any ill intent from it. And, and most of the times it'll, it'll smooth itself over and nothing bad will happen from it. But, uh, just kind of be aware of that, you know, people, people tend to be territorial, um, just, just in general.
0: So I think the biggest way to avoid that kind of stuff is when you're looking for a job, uh, when you're, when you're job searching, look for a job where your role is already carved out for you, Hmm. you know, not, you're not going to be the, the fourth trauma guy in the practice. You're not going to be the fifth sports surgeon in the practice. You're taking over for someone who retired last year or is retiring this year. You're going to inherit that practice, right? Or uh, you're trying to develop a new branch of the practice. You're trying to develop a new program in the practice. Um, usually when, when you have a set role there, a lot of those conflicts go away because you're not encroaching mm-hmm. on someone else's territory, you're adding to it, but the problems come when there's redundancy in the group. And whenever there's redundancy, that means uh, there's room to cut, right? And you don't want to be the guy that's cut. So look for look for a job where you have something set, where you have a role to fill and you have a job to do. Uh, otherwise, it's tough. Because it's like Jay said, if you're trying to earn block time, usually that means someone else is losing block time, right? There's There's limited resources going on and uh, people are competitive people will fight for that kind of stuff so uh, that's where a lot of those conflicts come in
1: if you're lucky your partners will be cool and and yeah things will work out so and then you know most of the times when people lose it or not lose when they leave their first job i think uh, i read a stat somewhere or heard at some point that 50 of the time it was because they had disagreements with their partners yeah um and that was like the number one reason why people left their first job so um, if you can maintain those relationships, sometimes you can't, sometimes it's not on you, it's, it's on the partners who are just being dicks. But if, if you can maintain those relationships, your overall you know, work environment will be a lot happier.
0: But also, uh, I think it's a very different dynamic too in a private group versus in an employed setting. Like you and I are both in an employed setting, right? Definitely. For us, most of the time, we're not competing for resources because each additional partner is not redundant. You know, If I'm gonna hire a partner, Uh, it's probably not going to be a sports medicine guy, right? It'll probably be joints or hand or foot and ankle or something that I don't have to kind of add to the hospital's reach, you know? Um, Versus in a private group, it depends on the group, you know? A lot of times those guys are generalists. So even the carpal tunnels, right? If you don't have a hand guy that is doing all the carpal tunnels and you guys are fighting for those small little cases, who's going to do them, right? Who's going to do the ankle fractures that come in? Who's going to do the, uh, you know, the trauma? So who's going to take most of the trauma call if you're taking call? Um, an employee group I think it's a little little different because I think there's a little less competition and most of the time your salary is locked in most of the time you know and you know the bonuses you're you're going for the bonuses but you each have a role to fill to get it Um, but that again comes to construction of a group and how do you hire uh, who do you hire what are you hiring for Um, if you have good answers to those questions a lot of time that stuff is eliminated. I think Uh, outside of like personality conflicts but um at least the the bigger financial competition kind of goes away yeah personality conflicts are tough too though you know like a lot of times you're not going to get along or not a lot of times i don't know i guess i can't say that but sometimes you're not going to get along with the people you work with just like in residency right um luckily I know like everyone likes to say that they love all of their residents and everyone gets along great together but that's always not never the case <laughs> right so um and that's actually a good thing right because you got to learn to work with people you don't get along with personally you still have to work together and learning how to do that is very important for being out in practice
1: you also need some uh, you also need outlet you know outside of work if if the first few years i, I think I think getting out of training and starting your own thing—it's—it's um, it's really exciting. It's a lot of fun for the most part, but it's also stressful, and it's a different kind of stress, especially when board uh, board collection starts for you. Um, it's a little bit, a little bit of a different kind of stress. So just having an outlet is important in your first few years. Um, even now, like I just started playing—I just started playing soccer for the first time in my life, and I started boxing and just uh, just kind of fun hobbies that that are new and and stimulating. So. And then for you you know with your with your girl um just kind of make time to to spend time with your kid and and watch them grow so i i found i found the best thing one of the best things about being done with training is that you finally have some semblance of control over your schedule so like you know no longer in residency i got into that mindset where like oh, i have to make the most of every opportunity and you know at night i'm going to read for cases i'm going to prepare for this and that and that's all necessary, but once you're in attending, you feel a lot more free to be like, you know, oh, you know, tomorrow maybe I don't want to, or maybe like next week, or whatever, I don't want to work too hard, work too late on this day. I just want to spend it at home with my kids, and um, you, you give yourself more of that freedom once you're once you're in training, and uh, just mentally give more of yourself to to the, the people that are to you outside of work.
2: You guys, have you guys gotten your cases yet for boards?
1: Or... No, not yet. Yeah, I think it's like next month or something. Yeah. So, yeah, we haven't. Uh, it's funny, me and Mo in our podcast, we took a lot of hiatus. I part of it was so we would avoid too much board discussion until we finally passed that test. <laughs> but we'll um, cross that bridge or yeah. when we come to it.
2: It's October this year, right? Or, or when is it? Oh, it was back...
1: I think it's July. July of this. Oh, it's
2: back in July. Oh, all
1: right. Yeah, I think it's July.
2: So, Everything's back to normal, I
1: guess, huh? Yeah, I think we'll probably be invited to Chicago for this wonderful opportunity nice. to defend our <laughs> cases. Yeah. Gosh, yeah. I hope we're, just, we're just thankful for the opportunity, right, man? It's <laughs> <Very thankful.
0: laughs> so, a tough six months, man. It's a real. tough six months.
1: Yeah. Like, well, yeah. I can't wait till we pass and we invite. Uh, robert charles Williams. <laughs> but um but yeah hey not let me ask you for fellowship um you know when i was doing my foot and ankle so actually backtrack so when you're in residency there's kind of this like pressure to um to perform and keep advancing and then eventually finish your training right like we all don't want to be like held back or you know thought of as is crappy and and it's it's almost like a negative pressure in some I mean there's of course there's a positive pressure to keep learning orthopedics and blah 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 but there's always a negative pressure as well um to not suck and in fellowship it was completely different like it was like kind of you know entering this place where it was like wow there's just so much opportunity to like learn from some of the smartest people in the field and you know and research opportunities as well so it's more of a at least for me it's more of a positive pressure to to make the most of my one year to to really you know get the most foot and ankle training i can and make most of my connections and and do research and all that stuff is trauma fellowship different because you know in people's minds trauma fellowship is like a very intense period and you said the trauma fellows that you know have worked harder in fellowship than they point in their life is it is it more of a like a more like residency where there's positive and negative pressures or is it you know mostly all positive pressures
2: i think it depends on your fellowship but by and large from what i'm from what i'm hearing from other fellows because i only have one fellow experience but it's much more like residency trauma fellowship i feel like you know there was a discussion on this podcast i think a while back was like is fellowship more like a pgy6 are you more like an attending and where do you lie on that spectrum, what, where does your fellowship lie? I think by its very nature, trauma lends itself to being a lot more like PGY6 than, than more like an attending. Like I take attending call, but it's very, it's, it's on occasion. I know places that take a lot, people take a lot more attending call, but at the end of the day, we're very much more like PGY6 in terms of the higher structure. And uh, I, a lot of my driver forces basically not sucking too bad. Um, And uh, yeah, just, I don't know, maybe it's also coming from where I'm coming from, but UTMB, we had a very, and our trauma experience is relatively limited. And Dr. Agrenor is a fantastic surgeon and he's a fantastic teacher, but he's only one person. He's only one person's, uh, uh, he only has one viewpoint and everyone's gonna pimp you on articles that they know. However, when you have eight attendings it's a little bit different they're all just as academic and I think at least in the community practices I it's very interesting like academic trauma like you just I just didn't know I didn't know it's like the amount of information each one of these like Jason like these are like world-class people like the amount of information each person holds is just head and shoulders above what I could even think about the only person I think would have even a chance, grant, maybe. And even then, I don't even think he'd have a chance against these guys in terms of like the amount of information they know. Um, so all of that just kind of compa- compiles compiles into it. And they know that there's a huge gap in knowledge. And because of that, uh, they rightly so don't really give it, they don't really care about what you think, right? They,
1: <laughs> they don't do the thing. <laughs>
2: Right. And and it's it's fair because they've been doing it 20 years. They've they've written all the articles. Right. So it's like, who are you to really like, you know, say anything? Right. So it's uh, and because of that dynamic, I think it ends up being a little bit of I don't want to suck. These guys control my fate. They make one phone call and I am I can lose my job. Hey, Um, and there's a little bit of that fear. Uh, that goes into my day to day life. That is that stresses me
0: out. I think that's every fellowship too, though. Like even even ours like you don't want to suck. You don't want to disappoint your attendings, and I mean that's part of the networking, right? You want them to be able to pick up a phone and say, "This guy was a great fellow." You exactly. Should, exactly. You know? Why do you think trauma fellowships are so like busy?
2: They're not. It's not really. I wouldn't say we're, we're super super. I think busy. Is a lot of busy outside, right? Just because trauma in itself lends itself to needing a lot of resources for this, the, for the number of procedures we do, the number of res- the amount of resources required that go into that, I think is much higher. Uh, and there, it isn't generate. then trauma in general, doesn't generate enough revenue, and isn't uh, it isn't standardized enough to merit resources such that joints has. So joints and spine are arguably close to being as resource intensive however they make a lot more money so they can generate they can have the help to do it trauma the reason why it's focused on large academic centers is that people don't pay right people don't pay half the time so they're not going to make money and there's like a litany of procedures you're doing thousands of you're doing hundreds of different procedures like from from basically your carpus to your to your foot right And and it can be different every day and, in general, these people aren't paying, and they may not have the best socioeconomic backgrounds and educational backgrounds. So all those things, and then they have trouble with where to go afterward and everything, all those things make it such that there's a large rounding burden, a large patient list burden that isn't inherent to other other uh, other specialties. Um, and then each and every case, you can't pull up the card and be like, X, y, z. so, you know, and so there's just a lot of work that needs to be done just to make sure that the room is ready to, much like what you're saying, but like they may not have the set there. A lot of my day is, I would say, you know, and different fellowships are different, but my day, at least in the university, I'm spending 60% of my time, 70% of my time not operating.
0: Mm.
2: Uh, it's it's going to be spent rounding, making, preparing for cases the next day, making sure that the room has all their sets uh making sure you know transferring the patient like all those things like that i'm doing all those things and i think a lot of places they all do those things and so they all end up uh because they don't have they don't have a specific pa here they all have assistants but each assistant doesn't 100 know you know they don't read the into the x-ray as much as you do they don't understand as much as as, as you do or the attending does about the exact plan of how they want to attack this problem. It's not like a total knee where they say like, I know exactly how this is going to set up. So the attending walks away and they know exactly that it's going to be set up and with the, all the trays they want. Um, so that's where tra- the inefficiency of trauma lends itself to being a more like busy fellowship. Like just to, for perspective, I get up at 4.30 every day, try to get to the hospital around 5.30, and I go. I usually get home on an early day. It's five. On a on a re- more regular day, it's seven or eight. So it's. I don't. I I, I didn't do that in residency. Like I had an easy residency. Let's let's be real. But I woke up at like five 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 thirty in residency. Got home by like six, seven on the But a lot a lot of times now, I'm waking up at four thirty. Don't go home until nine. So it's like, you multiply that by three sixty five. It gets tiring.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, and I don't even have to take weekend call off a lot of times so it's like imagine the guys you have to take weekend call too so like what max had to do so yeah uh, do you take
1: for weekday call do you hold the pager or do you just come in for cases
2: yeah so i take attending call during the weekday so like i don't, I don't hold the pager or anything uh and then yeah so it's it just like if i have to come in for like something emergent at night but it's only been like a handful of times so it's not it's not bad like i realistically this is a i would say this is even an easier trauma fellowship than most Some a lot of people they really do get their butts butts kicked they don't like to say it during the during afterward but you know people burn out multiple times i i you know you guys know me i've always been at the hospital but i've burned out a couple of times years. it's just like you just there's just uh it's just hard so How much uh, with all
1: that work i mean again they're so early rounding and how much time do they have for like academic conferences, didactics, and how much time do you have to like do research and things like that if, if that's your interest?
2: Yeah, like academics, they actually they do a very good job here. They focus a lot on that. So we do have like a didactic every Wednesday, Wednesday night, Wednesday at like six. Uh, the ORs usually finish up decent time. It's just that you're preparing the next day. So usually six, most of the time, we'll be able to get make it make a conference once a week. And they do a good job of enforcing that. Um, so the research time you're on your own. So that's that's every that's every trauma trauma fellowship. So, but you know different people are able to have different. You know are in different stages of their life and able to commit different resources. At the same, at the end of the day, they do give us weekends. So you could, if you're willing to give up your weekend, you can
0: definitely uh, do research. Sounds, Sounds like you're. Okay. Almost, hey, what is it? We're March now. So July ish was your last month. The fellowship
1: right
0: what's some of the, what are some of like the what are some of the most like of like the technical stuff what are some of the bigger things you've learned in fellowship that you didn't learn in residency uh
2: some of the things that surprised me was i didn't expect i picked up some things clinically like i we, we had to go to clinic here we go like half the clinic a week which is like I was like, hey, everyone's like, oh, this, you're in trauma fellowship. Why you're wasting time? Like a lot of times, I try to get out of it too, to be honest. But I was surprised how good these guys were clinically, like in terms of ma- like actually looking at a problem and like working through it. Because there's a lot of times people come with some vague pains, like you're six months out of trauma, and you're like, what's going on? And I, that and helping me reinforce just how methodical you have to be just on a clinical side of things yeah uh that was one of the things i did not expect to, to really pick up from these folks but i did the other thing i learned was the good thing about fellowship i think at least for trauma is was seeing the complications like you know in residency we didn't see that many missed injuries but here i see them a lot and it's not like you know they're not trying this is a busy trauma center they're they're the residents are doing a good job at, you see but still, like we had a missed elbow dislocation. Like, how did you miss an elbow dislocation? Like, what is going on? Yeah, but like, uh, but it happens, and it's because you know, it, you get things get lost in the sauce. you got 40 patients on the list, and someone we forgot to do a tertiary, and the guy is like, and the guy comes in four months out saying, My elbow is still swollen. now, he's a missed elbow. Disorder. Like, those things are like, uh, the complications really help guide, help, help me guide things. Like, I did a per pelvis for osteoporotic fracture and then like the, the screws and it's, a, it's a non-displaced awesome product like pelvic fracture. woman comes in two months later and her screws are like literally travel through her pelvis and i was like what the heck is going on like this is like insane uh but those are the things that i think i learned a lot i think outside like we said outside the technical things those are i learned a lot and i also learned a lot about resource resource management like how resource intensive trauma is like you need sometimes you need that extra hand and not only an extra hand a skilled extra hand it's so different i i've learned oh and you guys are probably you guys have definitely have both experienced this now but i didn't have as much of a experience in that you know coming out of residency like even if someone's going to help you they're they're, they're a resident and they they're into the case and dr foreman always used to tell me like you know operating an academic center sometimes cheating because the person on the other side of the table is into the case they want to help you They're, they know what the anatomy is like sometimes rarely but i'm left in a room like the only person is a scrub tech or a nurse who basically says i've never done this before just fyi just but i'm here to help you and you're just like uh, okay like i did bilateral hemis once the person's like i never scrubbed a hemi in my life i don't
0: know how to dislocate i don't know how to do anything i was like okay that, that's the example I was going to bring up, right? Like I know myself and uh, like another one of my, our co-residents who's in a small community hospital, we have the same problem with doing HEMIs on the weekend because there's no assistance, right? If my PA is away for the weekend or if he's out of town and he can't drive in, I have to wait till Monday, you know? So same thing for him. He's like, look, if I get a HEMI on like a like a Thursday or a Friday and they're not cleared till Saturday, I got to send them out, right? This is someone else who can do it. Cause it's not good for the patient to wait the extra two days, right. Or literature shows that pretty well. Um, but I'm not going to do it not safely either. You know, if, if I can't do a HEMI on my own, at least not post yearly. Right. Like it's, it's too tough to do that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, I have the same battle all the time. It's funny. Having hands, you got to have hands that can do it, especially for trauma. Cause most of the time yeah. it's, on, like, it's not like a scope, right. Like I, I could do a scope on my own. No big deal. Um, humble brag but i can't do a hemi on my own i can't do like a distal femur on my own hell i can't even really do like a clavicle on my own right like you gotta have some hands to hold hold some retractors for you or at least help you with things um
2: yeah i mean
0: like i felt learned that, like I, you know, i'm struggling on a case and it's
2: just me and somebody else and then the attendant comes in and they seem to get it easier and i'm like why oh because they have a me and yeah. and another set of hands now and we're both relatively skilled and suddenly like it's just that one extra thing. Like someone can pull traction while someone's doing this, yeah. Yeah. and it's just a deep dark wound. And someone can hold that deep retractor while they're doing this, and that just gives you that one extra step so that you have both hands to help work on the reduction. And suddenly things get so much easier. Like obviously, there's times they just like a schoolmate because they're sk- they're super skilled. But a lot of times I figured I was like, no, they they just <laughs> yeah. suddenly had like a <laughs> like. Suddenly, the exposure was done for them, and I'm not holding the suction, holding a retractor, trying to do the reduction on one hand at the same time. It's like, yeah. <laughs> oh, so, uh, not to not to take anything away from them, because at the end of the day, they they still school me on a day to day basis. But still, it's still I that I've learned like having that extra set of hands is uh, is just invaluable.
0: Yeah, a lot of the tips and tricks people teach you are born out of necessity from not having assistance. Like, for example putting a, like the thing Foreman likes to do on tibial shaft fractures, putting a a locking plate to hold the reduction that that almost always came because he didn't have someone else to hold a reduction while he put a nail in. Right. It's the easy way. slap a plate on there, let it hold it for you. You do the nail done. Right. Like a lot of that stuff, a lot of those little tricks are because most people don't have skill like and it's, it's designed to make it easier for you to do the actual surgery or, you know, uh, I don't know. Jay doesn't know what we're talking about. He has no idea. <laughs> this
1: way, he's got residents. No, this is awesome. I got PGY five, four, three, two, ones. I got students. Which, man, it's great. But um, when I was a resident, there was an attending, you know, that wasn't well liked, and he was, you know, left the program, so he's no longer there. But I only scrubbed like one or two cases with his dude, and all I remember, like, I was I was closing the case, and he was still scrubbed in, and. And the scrub tech wasn't interested so he had he had the scissors up. i'm like hey can you uh can you cut for me because like no one was cutting <laughs> and then he looks at me and he's like fend for yourself throws the scissors down to break scrub <laughs> so this was the, i think they did that huh this was the attending that did that yeah, I'll tell you who once we were done recording, but it was like basically my only interaction with him is I asked him to cut my suture he says, Fend for yourself Throws <laughs> throw the suture down and leaves. So now when I have residents, so the way I teach them to be autonomous, like you guys are experiencing, when they ask me to cut, I tell them to fend for themselves, right? <laughs> <I'm scrubbing. laughs> but but definitely um no, I get I get what you guys are saying. I mean there's times when I have one assistant, only one assistant, but I'm like, man, I'm sure I could use another assistant, or man, can we please get Ken Lamb back to be my assistant or <laughs> whatever, <laughs> or, or whatever it is. It's um, real but, though, right?
0: especially in the community. Like one of our one of our co-residents from our class did a sports scholarship, and like he'll tell me about some of the multi leagues he has that he just can't really do because he doesn't have anyone to help him. You know, like his partners can't come in and help him during the case. That's another thing we mentioned about partners. Make sure they'll help you during the case, right? Or like they'll come in and help you do stuff. Because uh, At least in sports, that's big. If, you, if you're doing a multi-leg and you have another surgeon there prepping the graft or harvesting the graft while you're doing an exposure, it will, it will shave you like an hour to an hour and a half off a tough case just by having hands there. Uh, but there's some stuff like he can't like even total knees. you know, like if you're doing, if you're out in the community doing a total knee and you don't, have like i'd argue you need like two people to help you uh but at least one right at least one person to hold retractors and manipulate the knee while you do stuff uh, if you don't have a robot like it, that stuff's big man like it, it makes it a lot tougher
1: i think for me the challenge is um yeah academics are I'm supposed to let my residents operate a lot and yeah, you, know, you guys you guys have experience going through training when you have certain attendings who when you operate with them the case seems like really easy like i remember doing complex cases with like dr foreman and you feel like you're like a great surgeon when you're done with the case and you don't realize how much he's basically done all the assisting that you could ever ask for your job is literally just to cut some stuff and put some stuff together and so it's like you know like he's done the exposure he's gotten you the tools you need and and yeah, so my challenge isn't like not having hands to help me. My challenge is like now I have to step into that role, where my resident is doing the operating. I got to figure out how to be that kind of assistant, to where I'm I'm still in control of the case, but I'm like basically assisting so well that it's easy for my resident. So it's a little bit different of a challenge than, than you guys experience. But
0: looking for the challenger you can. It's very easy to tell who has been out on their own versus who has never had to fend for yourself. Fend for yourself. <laughs> it's very looking back. It's very obvious. That you, like you could see it. Who who has had to do things on their own in the community with limited resources versus who has not. Hmm. Oh, oh. It's not a bad thing. Like it's not like one's a better surgeon than the other. It's just it's it's just in their techniques and the way they do things you, you can tell, like, I'm not saying that it's good or bad. It's just, you can tell. Yeah. Well, I have to bounce
1: in a few minutes, but uh, I want to do the whole talk on Ken's job search, which we probably won't have time to, but Ken, if you, if you have like a couple of points you want to make about your job search.
2: Uh, one nope. <laughs> one is like, uh, I mean, yeah. So I guess for the, for the podcast, I'm going to cheap California. That I'm going to be uh, possible employed physician and i'm also going to be working at a level 3 part time about an hour away um and i'm in an employed model to do it and i basically get a stipend for every single call i do and i don't have any bonus incentive i think trauma is a little bit different than a trauma is like a lot of things but there's a lot of uh, a contra- incredible amount of variation in the compensation models and how each person wants to co- compensate for trauma and i think more so than a lot of other places things we we're reliant on uh, the hospital resources to do what we need to do uh in terms of the job search we i think there's there are more drama jobs than i ever thought that there would be uh they're often not going to be in a great location but there are jobs out there And that was one of the things i was really worried about was that there wasn't a lot of jobs because trauma is not a revenue generating specialty so why would a hospital want to invest money in it and the reason why hospitals invest money in trauma is because it, when a hospital becomes a trauma center, and has and it has and now that American College of Surgeons is saying that you possibly need an orthopedic surgeon, trauma surgeon, like or orthopedic surgeon takes trauma call on staff for level twos and above, um, the entire revenue of the hospital increases. Like every single CPT code that they charge for can increase. For their facility fee if they're a a trauma center so then that's why people like me have jobs now because basically if the more that more and more private hospitals are liking this thing because they can they can i'm a relatively cheap investment if every single one of their cpt codes or their joint surgeon they can charge like x percent more for every single joint so that has really opened up a lot of uh a lot of opportunity for for trauma uh for trauma fellows like me to find a job uh that also dilutes the pool of of cases like every trauma fellow wants to do like pelvis and has to tap tap one by the end of the day there's going to be a diluted pool now that it doesn't all go to the big academic center it it siphons out to a bunch of level twos um and so you probably i think more more people aren't, aren't going to be doing the volume of like the crazy cases that they probably may want to see or not but um yeah I personally was, because of family reasons, was more much more location driven in terms of my job search, and so. But as so I am very happy that I got back to California. California pays you less to do more, um, and uh, just because it's so competitive there. So I'm just glad I I'm just glad I got the opportunity to, to practice in California. Um, yeah, that's just a little bit about it. I don't know. I I, I interviewed at every single job type: academic, employed. Peer private practice, private academic, I interviewed every single one, uh, I think it's really important that anybody out there who interviewed all different types, because that was really helpful for me to, even the interview was different, it was crazy, <laughs> I don't know what your guys' experiences was, but like an academic versus like the private practice, I was like, gosh, that was such a different interview, the feel, the culture, like, oh my gosh, it was like, this was very palpable, but it was good to experience. Thanks.
1: All right. Well, thanks for joining us, Ken. Um, do you have a new favorite bone now that you've done
2: a trauma <laughs> fellowship? I don't even know what I said last time. I think I probably said the head, proximal femur, maybe. Um, uh, I'll, 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 I will st- I stick by my statement. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, it's not the tailors,
1: huh? It's not the tailors. Uh, you can print that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks guys. Bye.